So let's look at a few things that need to happen with each of us individually. Those of us who call Solus Church our, our church home, this is our church family. Here's a few things that have to happen in order for us to be a community of disciples following Jesus together. Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 3? Let's, let's move to Mark chapter 3. Just a page to the right from Matthew 28. And in Mark chapter 3, we have Jesus, as is his, t- tends to be his custom, his favorite spot. He's up on the mountain again with his disciples. Um, Jesus in scriptures, he seems to do some of his best work on mountains. He's really into the mountaintops. A lot of great things in the Bible happened on top of mountains. And he often brings his disciples up on mountains as a place of retreat. A lot of his clear instruction and vision and direction comes from these retreats that he would have on the top of mountains. Wouldn't that be cool? We're going mountain hiking with Jesus to get some vision. And so in Matthew 28, it's a mountain top in Galilee of commission. That's what we just read. But here in Mark 3, here's the first time Jesus called the disciples up on a mountain. And this is not a mountain so much primarily of commission. It's a mountain of invitation. And it says in Mark chapter 3, in verse 13, that he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him, that he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the son of Thunder, and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house." So here's another mountain where the disciples are being called to him. Now not a mountain of commission, but a mountain of invitation. This is sort of the official call of the disciples to himself. We know that each of these disciples have experienced individual callings. Jesus seeing them on the seashore as fishermen. Jesus seeing Matthew the tax collector and saying, follow me. Just two words is all he told Matthew, follow me. It was enough for him to go, okay, I'm giving up my whole life for you, Jesus. You have Andrew who comes to Jesus, and he's this evangelist that brings his brother. We've seen individual experiences with discipleship to Jesus, but here in Mark 3, it's like the official call on the mountain. And there's a few things that I think we see here that can apply to our lives as well for us to be a community of disciples following Jesus. Here's the first thing that needs to happen in each of our lives individually. Number one is we each need to, number one, hear the call of discipleship. Each of us individually need to hear the call of discipleship. It tells us that in verse 13, that he went up on the mountain, and I love this, he called to himself those he himself wanted. And what we're getting at here when we talk about this idea of being called to follow Jesus is we're starting with a fundamental question. And it's a question that needs to be asked more often than not, and it's this question. What is a Christian? Good question to ask, right? Especially in a world where there's less and less people identifying as Christian, but there's still people that identify it for various reasons. I'm a Christian. Well, what is a Christian? Is a Christian someone who believes in Jesus? Is a Christian someone who believes in God? Is a Christian someone who's a good person? Is a Christian someone who votes a certain party? Is a Christian someone who says, frickin' and gosh darn it? Is a Christian someone who listens to certain kinds of music and not other kinds of music? Though some of these things may interact with being a Christian, they're not what defines a Christian. 
Because these are not things that Jesus used to define a Christian. So let's be careful not to discount people and say they're not Christians because they don't match our standards. Because if we were to look at Jesus' standard, I think we'd find ourselves on the other end going, am I a Christian? You see, in the scriptures, according to Jesus' understanding of a Christian, um, Christianity, biblically, it begins not with what we do for God. It begins with what God has done for us in Christ. Someone said amen. It begins with what's called the gospel, the good news of God's love. That's the first call that we all hear. That's the call that we're praying every single person in our community hears, that people would hear the call that calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a call of grace. It's a call of salvation. That's where Christianity begins. A Christian, then, we could say, is someone fundamentally who first receives the gospel. Receives the gospel. Hears the gospel, the call, as good news. And they respond to the gospel. They receive the gospel, but a Christian is one who responds to the gospel by turning from sin and self, by trusting in Christ as my Savior and following Him in all of life. You see, those are not two mutually exclusive aspects of Christianity. One of the biggest misunderstandings today in regards to discipleship is people talk and think about being a disciple like it's a level you reach after a couple years. Like, oh, they're, oh, new believer. New believer, yeah. What are you? Oh, believer. Oh, what about you? Disciple. <laughs> Trying to be a saint one day. Got to serve a little more, you know, get my card punched at church. And we can think this way. In fact, I've heard people talk that way. Like, how many disciples did you make today? As if first it was a completed project. And number two, as if it was some kind of level that you reach. Does Jesus teach that? If he does, I would just ask you to show me where. What we see in the Bible is not this mutually exclusive believer-disciple, but this harmonious connection and clear understanding of what a real Christian is. A Christian is someone who receives the gospel and responds by following Jesus. The question isn't whether or not you're a disciple. It's what kind of disciple are you? If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, here's what you've done. You have walked through this doorway of salvation. The doorway is Jesus. He says, I'm the door, the narrow gate. You've passed through the doorway of salvation. You've been saved. You've been forgiven. But let's understand, when you walk through that doorway, you're not just in this room called Christianity with all these other doors. Like, okay, serving Christian, disciple Christian children's ministry Christian come that's the big one right there okay it's not how it works you pass through the door here's what the Bible teaches you go through the door of salvation and through that door of salvation you are now walking and living a life of discipleship it's not either or it's both and you receive the gospel and respond by following Jesus guys that was Jesus's invitation while he was on earth people who came up to him and said things like what must I do to inherit eternal life? What would we mostly say? Okay, bow your head and repeat this prayer after me. Now let's not get it twisted. It's faith in Jesus that we are saved through. It's by his grace through faith apart from works. But we would see that more often than not, what Jesus would get at is not 
the external questions, but Jesus knew that the heart of every matter was the matter of the heart, so he would go straight to the heart. Okay, you can come forward to an altar call. You, you can raise your hand. You could pray a prayer. But have you really understood the good news of the grace of God? Because if you do know God's love, you can't be the same. See, the gospel we've heard is this, that God loves you so much that he welcomes you the way you are. He loves you. He takes you the way you are. But because he loves you more than you could ever imagine, his desire is not to keep you the way you are. It's a journey of discipleship. So that's the invitation. That's the call to discipleship. It's two words from Jesus, and it's simply, follow me. Follow me. You're a disciple if you're in Christ. Are you following Jesus? We see Jesus inviting people into relationship with him this way all throughout the scriptures. My favorite is the Apostle Peter. Um, because the first words that Jesus says to Peter are also the last words that Jesus says to Peter. And it's follow me. It's like, Peter, you're going to say a lot. You're going to do a lot. There's a lot of things that you get distracted by, bud. Old Cephas. But here's the thing. Laser your focus on this. I've saved you. I've rescued you. Follow me. Keep it simple. Maybe today you're like, I don't know where to go. Follow Jesus. You go, man, I'm so off the beaten path. He leaves the 99 so that you could follow him. That's his vision for us. So much so that, did you know this? Our favorite word for identifying ourselves is the word, what? Christian. Would you agree? It's kind of the top one that we use. It's kind of the staple of our religion, Christianity. But the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. The word believer is used 15 times in the New Testament. The word disciple is used 235 times. You think the Bible is trying to tell us something? <laughs> you're not just believers. You're not just Christians. You're followers of Jesus. It's a call. Now, the call to follow Jesus, the call of discipleship, I want to say this. It's not unique to Jesus. I don't know if a lot of us realize this, that discipleship is not something that Jesus came up with himself. Um, it wasn't like a new like church strategy. Discipleship actually predates Jesus. Confucius had disciples. Aristotle had disciples. Greek philosophers had disciples. In the most basic sense, let's understand what we mean when we hear this, follow, this invitation to be Jesus' disciples. Um, on the most basic level, here's what a disciple is. A disciple is with someone or follow someone in order to learn from them so that they can become like them. There's Greek versions of this. There's Hebrew versions of this. You might have heard the phrase that you would be covered in the dust of your Rabbi, solid, okay, rabbi, all right, and it's this vision of you follow closely, and even in that culture, as a rabbi would call a disciple of his to follow him, that was a call to abandon everything, to be with that rabbi, to learn from them, and the idea of to become like them was literal in every way. I mean, as a student of your rabbi, you would learn to talk like your rabbi, you would use the same mannerisms, you would say what's up and goodbye the same way, you would have the same kind of handshakes. I mean, like everything about them was, listen, your whole life, I should say, became oriented around these three goals. To be with to learn from, to become like. Let's ask the question this morning. Is our lives, are our lives oriented around those three goals? If you are a Christian, I want to encourage you as I need to encourage myself. My life needs to be oriented around, number one, being with Jesus. Number two, learning from Jesus. And number three, becoming like 
Jesus. That's the invitation to follow him. It's to be his disciple. Um, Notice that it says this, that he went up on the mountain, verse 13. He called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. And I love this. He appointed the 12, verse 14, that they might be with him. I love that. Fundamentally, Christianity is not about your call to do things for Jesus. When Jesus calls a disciple, he calls them into close proximity and relationship. Most of the time where we get this wrong is we get activity before intimacy with God. And so we're trying to work our way into relationship with God rather than working out of relationship with God. Are you with me? So intimacy with God must always precede all activity. Who we are in Christ, our relationship with Christ, is the first thing that we've been called to. You've been called into relationship with Jesus. Discipleship is you're with him. You're with him. He called them to him that they might be with him, his word says. What an awesome invitation that we get to still today be with Jesus. And when the disciples had Jesus leaving, that was one of their greatest grievances was, if you ever lost a loved one before, it's the thought of, I can't imagine life without you. Please don't go. And then Jesus said, it's actually to your advantage that I'm no longer with you because the spirit who is with you, he will be in you. Listen, that Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit is still in us. That promise is still true for us as the church. We can still be with Jesus by the power of his spirit. That's the first call. The second call is to learn from him. We're called to be with him. But as we come into close proximity with him, you start to learn a few things. That's what happens when you spend time in God's word. You learn a few things. And listen, you need to, and I need to learn a few things. Because following Jesus does not happen incidentally. Like, oops, I'm just, I'm just following Jesus. How'd that happen? That was oopsies. That was an accident. In fact, the Greek word for make disciples, in Matthew 28, that, that, that verse we read, um, it's mathetuo, where we, get our Greek, where we get our English word, mathematics. So following Jesus, biblically, it's like mathematics. Nobody in this room incidentally learned calculus. Like, oh, I just had a dream last night, and I get it now. All right. Or I was trying to figure out which way to go, and boom, geometry just happened. There it is. No, no, you have to be taught. We need to learn. We learn in proximity to him. He teaches us. He teaches us. In fact, that's the invitation of Matthew 11, a very popular verse that I think misses one of the central points of this invitation, right? We know Matthew 11:28. 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, look at this, learn from me. That's the invitation here. It's, it's to learn from Jesus as our rabbi. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is on every coffee cup. Every Instagram page has this as one of their posts. Just go back in the history. It's there, okay? This is a go-to verse. But a lot of, ourselves, a lot of us in this room, we find ourselves more often than not frustrated with this verse. Because we're not seeing the experience of the invitation. I've come to Jesus. Why am I still exhausted? Why am I still frustrated in my workplace? Why am I still frustrated in my marriage? I thought his yoke was easy and his burden was light. Now, the phrase, take my yoke upon you, that Jesus is saying, this is a euphemism. This is a Hebrew expression to say, my set of teachings. Come discover and learn my way of life. Like, this is a simple but paramount understanding for Christ followers. That to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus doesn't just mean that you learn a bunch of information about God. 
The goal of discipleship is that through learning about who God is, through following closely to Jesus and starting to learn from him, you go, oh, this is this whole thing of being a Christian. It's a new way to be a human. <laughs> like it's a whole new way to live my life. I'm learning, as, as it says in Matthew 28, I'm learning to obey the things of Jesus. That, that's what we, we set our sights on. And so we look at the verse like this, and we're like, why am I still exhausted? Why am I still laboring and I'm not feeling restful? Here's the question. Are you learning from Jesus? Are you seeking to live according to his set of teachings, his ways of life? Are you taking things like Sabbath days? Are you resting? Are you like Jesus getting alone with the Father to be filled up? And all you're ever doing is pouring out, and you're never being refilled, and you're wondering why you're so empty. The invitation of discipleship is to learn from Jesus. Now, here's the best part that sets us, us apart as disciples of Jesus compared to any other discipleship relationship. The invitation for Jesus of being with him and learning from him comes with it the promise of his faithfulness to make us like him. Without this, I would have quit by now. Anybody else? The Bible says it this way, that God is faithful. Philippians 1.6 says that we can be confident in this very thing, that God who has begun a good work in us, he's faithful to complete it. The Bible says he's the author, the originator, and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. So if God has begun to write the story of your life, the promise of God's word is that it will be completed. He will finish the story, no matter what turn the story has taken. Come on, we've all been in movies like that. We're like, how are they going to end this movie now, right? The good guy dies. Oh, he comes back to life. Every movie, Christ picture, right? But Following Jesus comes with this promise. I love what Jesus said to, to, to Peter and the disciples in Matthew 16. He says, follow me, and here's the invitation, and I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. He told Peter, right, you are Simon, you shall be Cephas. This is what's so incredible about the call of discipleship. We hear this call, and with it, it's an invitation to be with Jesus and learn from Jesus, but it's this hope. Here's what makes it so good. This God who saved me, this God who loves me despite how broken I am, he doesn't just see me for who I am today. He sees you, he sees me for who he's making me. By his spirit, by his grace, he's transforming us from glory to glory. Whatever your setback is, you can look at that setup and let it be a, or setback and let it be a setup. Let God use that to recalibrate you, bring you back to him, and follow him. Because the promise is not, follow me, learn from me, do your best, I'll see you in heaven. It's follow me, and I will make you. I will transform your life. And it's what, come on, when you start spending time with someone, they start to rub off on you, don't they? That's why some of you looking at your friends, you're like, mm, your good things and your bad things, okay? <laughs> it's why we need to spend time with Jesus so that he can rub off on us, that by his spirit he can make us look a little bit more like him. What a great hope. We also need to do this. We need to count the cost of discipleship. We've got to hear the call of discipleship. We've got to all hear that individually. We've got to hear God calling us not just to be a stagnant, saved person, but a person who's been called to follow Jesus and experience his transformation in our lives. But we also need to count the cost of Jesus. Uh, here in Mark chapter 3, as Jesus is calling these 12 disciples to himself, I want you to notice 
verse 7. Go back to verse 7 in Mark 3. It says, But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. So now you have what becomes a great contrast, especially in the Gospel of Mark, is you have this constant contrast between the crowds, the multitudes, and the disciples. Um, I was thinking about this. It seems that a lot of the time, most of Jesus' methods of ministry contradicts a lot of what you read today in regards to church growth strategies. Like, um, so today, like, let me say it this way. Like today, a lot of church growth strategies is this. How do we make a small crowd bigger? Jesus' method was often, how do we make this big crowd smaller? It's like, what are you doing, Jesus? You're not following the six Ps of growth. I don't know, you know. There's nothing wrong with pursuing. To, I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe God cares about reaching people, numbers, you know. It's a book of numbers in the Bible. God cares about numbers, you know. Like, but it seems that for Jesus, what he's really looking for is, it's been said, not just fans, but followers. And so he would often draw the line in the sand between the crowds, between the fans and the followers. And that line would be a cost. You can be a fan or you can be a follower. I think of it this way. A lot of us, our discipleship to Jesus is um, it's Instagram discipleship. Instagram, okay, for those over 40. Instagram is like you take photos, but you post them online. This morning we had a whole joke at our team. They're like, what's Instagram? It was funny. Um, but it's this social network where you're able to showcase your life. You kind of a microblog version, videos, stories, and if people want to see your content, they can follow you. Got a new follower today. Followers. How many followers you got, right? If Jesus had an Instagram account, a lot of followers. They double tap his ministry. They like what he's doing. You're healing people. You're awesome. Maybe you're the new king of Israel. Come to set us free from Rome. You know, they have their expectations. The second he says something wrong, though, oh, that offended me. Unfollow. Unfollow probation for a month, you know. Instagram discipleship. There's no such thing as being an Instagram disciple of Jesus. You can live in it in, our own, in your own world, in our own world, but when you look at the Bible, we see that Jesus was constantly creating this divide. And he would say things like, to the crowd that he called to, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. Self-denial, death to self. Be willing even to give up your own life one day. This is what Jesus costs us to, so much so that there's a man in the Bible in Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 19, that we know as the rich young ruler, the balling out young entrepreneur, we could call him. And this rich young ruler came to Jesus saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted the checklist of how to be a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus lists to him all the neighborly loving commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your, your mom and dad. Kind of on the surface level, he answers and says, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Come on, come on, Jesus, give me a challenge, right? I got those. 
Then Jesus looked at him. I love how it says in Mark. Jesus looked at this young man who wanted to be a follower of his. And, he's, and it says this, looking at him, he loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. As you guys know, most of you, the story goes this way, but he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is getting down to the heart of the matter, because he's not looking for superficial religion. Jesus gave up his whole life. Our response to him is to give up our whole lives. And Jesus knew with this guy, whatever it is for us, we have our own wealth. We have our own version of being our own rich young rulers. But there's always that something that Jesus points at. And we're like, no, my precious, right? <laughs> Anything but that, Jesus, I, I, I'll give, but Lord... Please don't focus on the way I'm doing business. Lord, please don't focus on the fact that I haven't confessed pornography to my wife in five months. Lord, please don't focus on the fact that I'm having sex with my girlfriend. Lord, please don't focus on the fact that I'm justifying my drinking behavior and saying I'm a social drinker. And this is, let's remember, this is God's love. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he said, listen, I have so much more for your life. But what it's going to require is not just you keeping a bunch of rules, but that thing that your heart is obsessed with, I need that thing because without it, I can't have your heart because that thing has your heart. I'm not after your behavior, I'm after you. And to have you, you've got to be let go of that thing that has And the worst part of this story is that most of us, we walk away sorrowfully because, not because of how Jesus hurt us with his words to give up that thing, but I think most of us know that when we don't count the cost, when we don't sacrifice that thing that's affecting my relationship with Jesus, most of us know that we're settling for the cheaper option. And so when we walk away sorrowfully, it's like we're walking away from what we know we most desperately need to what we're settling for. And we're sorrowful because we're lacking the surrender to give it to Jesus. You see, when we talk about counting the cost, it's amazing how this idea of counting the cost of discipleship, it's a phrase that Jesus uses that you know, no man goes to war without first counting the cost. Like, how many soldiers do you have? Nobody, nobody goes to do a building project without first checking your banking account and seeing if you can afford it. And he, Jesus uses that same concept to say, to be my follower, you don't, you gotta, you gotta think through these things. You gotta consider if I'm willing to be a follower of Jesus, or am I just content with being a static spiritual Sunday morning Christian? He challenges us to think through it, to count. The cost. Now, a lot of us, we think about that and we go, yeah, what is it going to cost me to give up? But I think the true cost is not what we lose to follow Jesus, but it's what we lose to not follow Jesus. That's the cost most of us are not counting. And it's the way that Paul uh, said this in Philippians 3. Paul had his whole life transformed he, by giving up to him. His precious, his wealth was his religion. It was his self-righteousness. 
It was his ability to keep right standing with God by good behavior. That was the thing that Jesus to Paul said, give that up. Give up that facade and that fake persona you wear on Sunday morning, that rule keeping. And Paul says this, he counted the cost and he says, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. In other words, the cost of what I'm losing does not compare to the value that I'm getting in following Jesus. So I count all these things, really, at the end of the day, they're rubbish compared to the excellence of knowing God. There is no greater joy, there is no greater high, there is no greater blessing in life than knowing Jesus and walking with him and experiencing the fullness of his presence, the fullness of his joy. The call is to follow. The cost is to be willing to give up anything that is keeping your heart from belonging to Jesus. Maybe you can just right now write that thing down. What's that thing that's keeping you? Let's go back to that, because I know we're, okay, we moved. Let's go back. What's that thing that if you were this rich young ruler, what's that thing that Jesus says, that's nothing compared to me? Count the cost. Write that thing down. Maybe you need to find someone here. I think this next point will help you out. Lastly, write this last one down. Join the crew. Join the crew. This is huge. This is where this gets fleshed out. We hear the call. We count the cost. We see what God is calling me to lay aside, to lay at his feet. We write that thing down. Here's where you take that thing that you wrote down. You take it to a friend in the church. You take it to a mentor in the church. You pray for a mentor in the church, maybe. You find, you get out of your comfort zone. You say, hey, I'm imperfect like you. How's it going? And you bring that thing to them. And they go, wow, awesome, me too. Here's my thing. Mentors have struggles too, Right? And you start to experience what Jesus envisioned with his disciples. Did you see this? I love this. Look at verse 14. It says, he appointed the 12, this is huge, that they might be with him. So Jesus called all these guys individually, but now we see this individual call becomes a collective corporate call because in Jesus' mind, following Jesus involves followers of Jesus. For the disciples, hey, come on, all of you guys. It was a whole motley crew, as we would say. And this was a motley crew. This is too. But this definitely was a motley crew. These were imperfect dudes following and doing life together. And the invitation of discipleship is the same. It's join the crew. It's join the community of discipleship. We shared about this idea of soulless community. This is for us, this is where we believe that this is kind of like the where we follow Jesus We're disciples of Jesus following him together. It's in our soul's community. It's every other Wednesday. It's home fellowships and outings. Those are not meant to be like, I think sometimes we have like groups. The point of groups is to have a group. Got a group. How's the group? It's a great group. Women's group, study group. Beth Moore, it's awesome, right? Got a group. Does your church have groups? Our vision as a church is not to have a group experience. It's to have a life experience. It's to follow Jesus together. And so that's our vision with with this. I mean, some practical things here. Look at this. In community, you experience sharpening. Um, When you join the crew, when you you stop just being a Sunday attender, but you start being a a disciple following Jesus, what happens in the church, this is so beautiful, okay? Just like in your families, we don't get to pick who's in our families. We're just born into them like, oh, hey, sister. Hey, brethren, okay? Same with the church. You don't get to pick who's in the church. That's God's job. And one of the great gifts of that is you get exposed to personalities and people 
and mindsets and worldviews and core value differences that you wouldn't be around if you weren't a Christian. Because if you weren't a Christian, you would just go, see you later. I'm out. You're, you're, I avoid people like you. You're different than me. Look at the 12 disciples. He lists all their names. Drastically different dudes. You have a tax collector and a zealot. Cultural enemies. We have our own cultural enemy versions of our society today. He puts them together so that they would be sharpened. Because here's the truth. Though you might be more comfortable alone, you're dull alone. I mean that in the most loving ways possible, too. Me, too. There's something about your character formation that's not going to come out in isolation. And it comes out through sharpening. The Bible says, as one man, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen the countenance of his friend. Also, you experience straightening. This is another huge part of community. Um, does anybody need to get their car aligned? Anybody in here need to get their car aligned? Just me, a couple of you guys? Good. We'll go later, Gabe. Okay. Um, you know, when your car, like, what happens is it's like you take your hands off the wheel for a second. You shouldn't do that when you're texting or something. But when you do that, you shouldn't. But um, the car starts to... And there's, there's, it's a great picture, right, of our natural propensity is to get off the path of Jesus. And what happens sometimes is we have blind spots and boom, we can get in a wreck because we don't see what's there. Um, so we got this really cool minivan this year. I'm really happy about it. Um, if I told everyone, I'm like, if I was a single guy, I would buy this minivan. Um, not just because I have three kids now, but it's an awesome minivan. One of the best features about it is you can push this button on the blinker and you get a camera of your blind spot. So I'm all like, I see you there. It's all good. Sometimes I'm like, hey. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't do that. I don't do that. But the vision to your blind spots, uh, Hebrews 3 says this, Beware, brethren, listen to this, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You go, I would never unbelieve. I would never depart from the living God but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin doesn't always come to the front door, guys. It likes to sneak in the back window most of the time. That's why we need people to guard those blind spots, sharpening, straightening. How about this one, strengthening? When was the last time you just needed a, a friend like Jonathan to David in the wilderness? David was exhausted. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 23 that David stayed in the woods. He was there in the woods, and Saul sought him every day. But Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods. I love this. And strengthened his hand in God. Sometimes you just need a friend that doesn't strengthen your, your understanding of everything. You might not make sense of it all, but just somebody who's there to encourage, put courage in you and strengthen you. Strengthening. It's in community that we also get stirring. You see, apart from the church of Jesus, apart of the gift of one another to each other, we would get really stale. Our passion for Jesus would dwindle. That's why we gather every Sunday and we, we tell ourselves, let's sing to Jesus right now. He's worthy of our praise. And it stirs one another up to love and good works. Hear the call. Count the cost. Join the crew. Join the crew. Welcome to the family. We are a ragtag, motley crew of disciples desperately pursuing and following Jesus. Amen?